deception in the church. Uh, Carolyn and I have been dealing with this deception series and we've given you the introduction and there was a, there was a overall point sermon on philosophies of the world. Now, with the conclusion of the Babylon series, I would suggest you go back and study that because this is gonna help you understand what I'm gonna be preaching on today. And through the series, we are highlighting four absolutes. And if there is any violation of these four absolutes in your theology, we feel we'll just walk away from you and no questions asked and that's the end of the story. People don't like to hear that because especially in this day and age, people don't like to deal in absolutes. The four absolutes are who is Jesus, the Word of God, and that's we, we concluded the Word of God in the last section, and Carolyn did some fantastic sermons on understanding what the Word of God is, and now we're gonna be introducing the third absolute, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. What has the cross done in your life? And then the fourth one, which we'll be ending off with, will be behavior, and that is sanctification, which is the manifestation of the cross through the power of the Holy Spirit into your life. Now, before I look at the four brief points on the cross, because I'm gonna be introducing the cross today, I really feel I need to wrap up the Babylonian series by sharing with you the philosophy of which I believe is the Babylonian uh, camouflage, and that is postmodernism. I really feel as, as believers that you need to understand postmodernism because postmodernism, if you understand it, you will be able to understand what you are seeing taking place around you in society, what you're seeing taking place around you in the financial world, political world, and the religious world. So in understanding uh, philosophy as a, as a camouflage of Babylon, you'll understand that this philosophy this Babylonian philosophy is a philosophy that has shaped how society looks at itself and behaves from Genesis chapter 10. In doing this, you will be able to see as a believer precisely what your worldview is and how you see things. And when you understand how they see things, you will understand the clash that takes place when you want to approach them and speak to them or evangelize them or disciple them. And you will know the, the blowback that you are gonna get when you come forward and you start standing on these four absolutes. You will be able to see their point of view. And then you will also be able to see how the proponents of the Babylonian system are gonna come in and try and deceive you with false doctrine and try and mislead you and to get you to step off these four absolutes. <clears throat> so, let's look at postmodernism, uh, and let us look at the, because I believe that postmodernism is the face of the Babylonian system today. Now, when you, to understand postmodernism, you have to understand modernism. Now, these are the philosophies I was talking to you about right back in the introduction, Postmodernism today is trying to do away with modernism. It's the cultural worldview that perpetrates and penetrates every aspect of society in which you are living. 
So when you are going to school and you are introducing your children to school, you are introducing them into a philosophy that is generated and powered by postmodernistic thought. This will have an impact on your home life as you begin to implement your biblical worldview on your children and there will be that clash. So you need to understand this philosophy coming in from Babylon and what you are doing in your home as a disciple of your home and discipling your children. And so you need to understand this camouflage. You need to understand how this camouflage works. Now I've shared with you about the Babylon future that is now. It sounds frighteningly like the system that you see in Genesis chapter 10. It sounds frightening like the system that you see at the birth of the early church when Jesus was on the earth, when the apostles was on the earth. The only difference is that the gods represented down through the ages have just changed their camouflage. So for example, you can worship the God of the earth way back in history under some name, but today you can worship that same God under environmentalism. So all that happens is just a change of the camouflage, but it's the same system and you need to understand the system. So what is postmodernism? All right. Postmodernism, think about this now. Postmodernism, if I'm using political, a political sort of uh, framework, left wing, right wing. So postmodernism would always be your progressive liberals. And, 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 and their worldview has these, has these values. Number one, spirituality. They are very, very spiritual people. Now, if you go back to my podcast on philosophies of the world, I shared with you the staircase away from God towards the devil. It's not a direct line. It's away from God and then takes you back into Satanism. So postmodernism is the philosophy reintroducing spirituality to the world outside of God's parameter. They are very, very pluralistic. So it's a pluralism is a condition or a system in which two or more states or groups or principles or sources of authority coexist. That's very important for you to understand. Because when you be going and you start speaking to a postmodernist and you start looking at this person and you're thinking to yourself, I've just said this and you've said no. Now I've said that and you've said yes, but then you've said no to this and you're holding two completely opposing thoughts. How can this possibly be? Well, there it is. He is a pluralistic thinker. Okay? You look at that in politics, you can see that in government, you can see that in society, you can see that in uh, philosophy. They, 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 they accept any idea and hold it as truth. It just doesn't matter. There's nothing fixed, there's nothing absolute in their philosophy. They are very, very experiential, if you see the next slide. So experience, now remember what we said about false teachers in one aspect of the church coming in, trying to lead you into experience, trying to lead you into signs and wonders. Uh, relativity. Okay, the absence of a standard of absolute. That's another important thing you need to understand about a postmodernist. They do not hold to an absolute standard. So when you come to them and you start speaking to them about the absolute of the word of God or the absolute of Jesus Christ or the absolute of the cross or the absolute of a, a standard of living, they will oppose you because they do not believe in absolutes. There is an absence of standards and absolutes in their, in their worldview, in how they see things. And so everything is fluid, altruistic. 
another thing, you know, very, very self-centered. They choose what they will apply and go into. Uh, community, very strong. Creativity, very strong. And all of this stuff, community, creativity, arts, very, very spiritually orientated. It's soaked up in spiritual. Uh, environmentalism, that's one of their very strong points that a postmodernist will promote. So if you go along and you say, well, I'm not really into environmentalism the way you are, they will, they will brand you as someone that's against the earth because they held very strong views on that and that's just a camouflage for the worship of earth, in my view. Globalization is another one. Holism is another one. In other words, that is also important, the theory that parts of a whole are an intimate interconnection such as they cannot exist independently of the whole or cannot be understood without reference to the whole, which is thus regarded as greater than the sum of its parts. In other words, they are not really promoting an individualistic identity. You are part of a group. And the better for you if you are part of a minority group. So you identify, your identity is an identification within a group. If you want to identify yourself as an individual, you're an absolute. There's a truth there that they don't want to go into and they'll come against you on that aspect. So in essence, in a nutshell, that is my understanding of a postmodernist. So when I'm dealing with a postmodernist, that's what I'm dealing with. Now, if in postmodernism, if you're looking at, at, at what they're doing, the, as I said, the left and the right wing and politics, progressive liberals with conservatism and they're fighting each other, the modernist, which a postmodernist is against, we as Christians get targeted as being modernists. Now we are not. We are children of God. We don't step under that postmodernist. So if you can go to the next slide, I will show you how a postmodernist now comes in and starts to deconstruct the ideas that have come out of this European centered uh, 18th century colonialistic society which they're against. And so they are trying to move away from that. So a modernist is a rational thinker. In theology, it's the practice of treating reason as the ultimate authority in religion. And because we as Bible believers have absolute authority, they will attribute that to us. And so they will come against us. And that's a very key important point in understanding. Uh, science is a very, very central and integral part of modernism, whereas a metaphysical science is more postmodernist. Dogmatic, the tendency to lay down principles as undeniable truth without consideration of evidence or the opinion of others. They will accuse you of being dogmatic because you believe in something that you have not seen, which is faith. Uh, individualism is sort of the hallmark coming out of that. Uh, modernistic worldview, a pragmatic approach uh, in attitude and policy. Uh, very capitalistic, nationalistic, compartmentalized with this veneer of Christianity, okay? And so they will tar you with that brush. Now, to me, both of these systems belong to Babylon. Both of these systems are going to be used 
by the queen of heaven who sits, who is the beast, who is the second beast, who is Babylon, both of these will be used to get the world deceived to worship the first beast, which is the Antichrist. And you, and you saw me speak to that with regards to the first four sermons on Babylon. So Babylon will come to you and Babylon will say to you, listen, my child, if you believe it, you can accept it. If you want it, you can have it. If you don't want it, you don't have to have it. There are no absolutes. Whatever you decide is truth for you except for this one thing. There will come a time that you will worship my master. And that, in essence, sums up the purpose and modus operandi of Babylon. Now, here's an important point that you've got to understand. And if you can understand this point, you can begin to understand what it is, the, the effectiveness of the message of the gospel going into this environment of Babylon. And as powerful as you might perceive Babylon to be, I can assure you that the message of the gospel going into Babylon under the power of the Holy Spirit is more powerful. Now, here is this most important point that you've got to understand. The post-modern culture of today is similar and the same of the same culture as was the culture into which the early church was birthed. Let me repeat that. The postmodern culture today was very similar to what the early church was birthed into. All that has happened to Babylon is she has changed the camouflage. The same gods that were worshipped in the Roman Empire are the same gods that have, are being worshipped today. The same gods that were worshipped in the Roman Empire were the same gods that were introduced in Genesis chapter 10 by Nimrod and his mother. They are the same gods. Nothing has changed. Babylon and the woman of Babylon will always lead you to worship her son, her husband, which is the devil. Now here is the thing I want you to understand about this. Into that culture, that new church was birthed by the Holy Spirit by, by, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And not only did the church survive, the church thrived. And within two to three generations, the church had taken that harsh, deadly, ugly, self-centered cultural perspective of Babylon and turned it on its head. Since 313 AD, the church has gone to sleep because we have now allowed Babylon back into the church. And many of the systems that we practice as the church today are in actual fact the systems of Babylon. And the church then was led into Babylon because remember what I said to you, whenever Babylon is mentioned, Babylon is the captive place of the people of God when they've gone into sin. And so the church went into the dark ages. 
And through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, the church reformed, got reformed and got revived through the reformation. And things got restored back to the church. And so we had the birth of this reformation age where the church began to thrive and people began to see the things of God and society began to change again. But I believe what we are witnessing today is the revitalization of Babylon, the second beast, the great harlot, the prostitute that sits on many waters. And she is now preparing this world and the people of this world to receive the first beast. So when you go in and you start talking to a postmodernist, the argument that a postmodernist will always give you is this. They might not give it to you to your face, but this is the motive behind their attack against you. Now here it is. Anyone who holds to an absolute thought, an absolute truth is dangerous because that absolute truth will suppress you. Especially if that absolute truth is a religious truth or a biblical truth. That truth will end up suppressing people. Now here, look at, look at, look at how Babylon works now. <coughs> Excuse me, remember I said Babylon manifests in three areas, politics, economics, and religion. And Babylon is a, con, is, is a, a confederacy into which man enters and into which demons enter to promote the world to worship the devil. That's the purpose of Babylon. So now, postmodernism says this, if you hold to a truth, you will then suppress a group of people, especially if that truth is religious. So the spirits in Babylon now activate in the Middle East, and we have a religion of absolute truth rising, and what are they doing? They are going through the Middle East, killing, raping, maiming, and murdering people in the name of their religion. So on one hand, you see this Rising, and then on the other hand, you've got another group of the same system pointing and saying, see, what we say about absolute biblical or what we say about absolute religious truth is true. Any group of people who hold to an absolute truth will suppress other people. And they're setting up the people of the Middle East who follow Islam very badly. And once they've done that, they're already setting up the church to take the next fall. That's my personal view. So a postmodernist rejects objective truth and, and that rejection of objective truth is the very cornerstone, it is the very essence of the ideology. That is why I'm saying to you, always examine someone's words. Always examine and test a preacher's words. Test him. Where does he come from? What are his associations? 
Where does he speak from? Identify, what is his philosophy? What does he say about Jesus? Who is Jesus to him? What is the Bible to him? What is the cross to him? And the minute you can identify these areas, you can identify whether he is just a hireling that has absolutely no clue and opening the doors to the, to the wolves or if he's a wolf that comes from Babylon. It's your personal responsibility to guard your heart. Postmodernists will always hold and fight against anyone who, who they consider holds objective truth, especially if that truth is religious because they say it excludes the voice of others and they say holding that kind of truth will marginalize the vulnerable. They will come and they will ridicule you, they will come and they will blame you and then they will come and attack you. That's modern, postmodern culture. The person to be feared within that culture is the person who is dogmatically holding on to an absolute religious truth and that is a Bible-believing Christian. So, you stand up and you make your opinion known with regards to Jesus, with regards to the cross, with regards to the word of God or with regards to godly behavior and you will be ridiculed, you will be attacked and you will be blamed. And the attachment on your name will be something phobia, something ist. All right? Do you understand how they work? Now here's another slide. There's three important points I need you to understand. Three very, very important points. The first point is this. Why it is important for you to understand this? It's because the Babylonian camouflage, that camouflage is there to lead people into Satan worship. All right, this camouflage, this philosophy is there specifically to lead people to worship the devil. Go and look at Babylon through history. Go and look at when they took them into Babylon where Nebuchadnezzar was there. What happened? They put up an idol and everybody had to worship him. Go and look in Genesis 10. Everybody had to worship him. They put a, stake, they put a tower to heaven. It always boils down to one thing. You will have to worship the devil. That is what that system is only set up for. That's my view. The second thing that you need to understand about the system, especially as believers now beginning to understand that the same environmental circumstance in which you find yourself in today regarding society is the same as the early church, is that most young believers will swim in its currents as they study at school, even as young as primary school, but especially as they go to university. When you send your little loved ones to university, especially the social sciences, I can assure you they're gonna be inducted and thrown into the deep end with regards to postmodern thinking. Uh, every movie they see, they're gonna be embracing postmodernist thinking, uh, social media, friends, everything, even some church meetings they are gonna be attending are gonna be backed up and promoted by postmodernism. And that's why it's important for you to understand exactly what this system is. Number three, a growing number of these Christians Wolves in sheep's clothing will be embracing postmodernistic ideas, not uncritically, but they will believe them 
and they will offer a context for fresh Christian living and fresh avenues of evangelism. In other words, those Christians are the Judas goats. You know what a Judas goat is? It is a goat, is an animal, or it is a person that is trained to lead innocent people quietly to their deaths. They used them in the camps in Germany, extermination camps, and they've used them throughout history. And they use them all the time. And a wolf in sheep's clothing is a Judas goat. Be careful. Now that is the introduction. And that is the foundation to which now I want to lay on an absolute with regards to the truth. Preaching the power of the cross. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 14 We read these words of Paul to the church in Galatians. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What an absolute statement. (laughs) I love it. I, I, I absolutely love it. What a defining statement spoken into an environment where the Babylonian system was at full force. And that is the statement that we need to hold on to in our lives and speak forth in, into Babylon rising, future rising now. Now the text of my sermon essentially today is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 17 to 18. Paul's writing to a church in crisis. And he says these words. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, if you go and study the book of Corinthians and you study the environment of the Corinthian church, the message of the power of the cross was the message that Paul came into to preach into this church. A church that was embroiled in various forms of internal power structure, power conflicts. So there were power struggles going on within this church. For example, there was a party spirit in operation. If you wanna see a party spirit in operation, flick onto Q&A parliamentary time and you will see a parliamentary spirit of, in operation. And I'm not talking political party, I'm talking opposing, conflicting parties that will never get along and that argue for the sake of arguing because they wanna get power and they, the rest be whatever. So there was a political, there was a party spirit creating havoc and division in the church. The second thing that was happening in the church was there was false teachers that crept in and they were now starting to sow their false teachings which were the Ebonite Gnosticism and I've shared with you in the previous podcast what Ebonite and Docetic Gnosticism was. Now, with these two power conflicts going on and the vacuum of godly leadership, what happened was the Christian membership then 
started to live the way they wanted to live. And so there was a rise in sexual immorality amongst church members and other, other sins started to become evident within the church. Violation of worship and all different stuff started to take place. So all things, fires just started to burn everywhere. Sin fires amongst members started to burn everywhere. Now in Gnosticism, postmodernism, Babylonianism, everything goes. And so in the church in Corinth, this one was having his say, this one was having his say. These guys were preaching this, those guys were preaching that, this guy was behaving this way, this guy was sleeping with his mother or grandmother there, and everything was going. And Paul's response to the church's conflict, he walks in and he just jams down this awful big absolute cross in the middle of every argument and he comes in and he says this, for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God, the implementation of God's power and God's wisdom through the message of the cross. Bang! For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So, I've got four quick points with regards to the cross. Point number one, the power of the cross is our God-given message for preaching. All right, let's just look at the problems in the Corinthian church on the slide here. Paul comes into the church and he finds these problems in the church. Okay? A party spirit was splitting the church. False doctrine was openly promoted. Rampant sin behavior due to this crisis and in an environment similar to what we are facing in our society today. So he had Rome and the empire of Rome, and we have this Babylonian system, which I believe is the, is, is the second beast that is starting to rise right now out of the earth. What does Paul do? He walks in, and he establishes the message of the cross. You wanna deal with division through a party spirit? You wanna deal with false teachers and their false doctrines? You wanna deal with sin behavior in church members' lives? All you have to do is to bring the cross of Jesus Christ to bear. And all hell will break loose in your church. Believe me, I've done that quite a few times. Now once the hell is dissipated, Freedom will then begin to rise. And those that personally embrace the cross will be set free. So he comes to this Babylonian system, he comes to this Babylonian society, he comes to this Babylonian influenced church with a single-minded focus and a single-minded message the power of the cross is the gospel that saves and transforms and there is no other message, there is no other way. And he stayed focused. He did not get moved. And if you read what happened to him and if you read how he had to defend himself, 
you will realize the attack, the blowback against him from bringing the cross to bear. So it is for each one of us too. There might be family members in which you're gonna have to walk into their lives that are so-called Christians and you're gonna have to plant the cross into their lives because of their behavior. There might be divisions that you have to go in and plant the cross in. There might be some people that you might know who've got false doctrines and you're gonna have to go and plant the cross in. This might be your duty. This might be your call. And if God has called you to go into their lives, the message you have to bring is the message of the cross. It is the only message you are entitled and commissioned to bring. So to stay on point, this is the point. Jesus Christ defeated Satan on the cross. This is the point. Jesus Christ shed his blood to save our souls and all who call on him will be saved. That's the point. The point is Jesus Christ satisfied the divine law of God that man violated in the Garden of Eden. The point is that through Jesus' atoning death on Calvary's cross, you are set in right standing with God and that is the only way you can enter into that right standing with God. End of story. I don't care if you wanna talk about going to God in another mountain. I don't care if you wanna talk to God about anything else. That is the only way to God. That's the absolute. And that is the power of God to salvation. So the power of the cross is our God-given message for preaching. Number two, <clears throat> the power of the cross is our Christ-controlled means in preaching, quality control. All right, we need a little bit of quality control in the church today. And so quality control, what does quality control mean? It means this. He did not send me to baptize. I'm not talking against baptism, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, let the cross of Jesus be emptied of its power, for the message of the cross to those who are perishing is foolishness. But to us who have been saved, it is the power of God. So what is Paul saying? There is only one way to heal factions in the church. That way is not to roll up your hands and dialogue with each other. That way is just to walk in amongst the two groups, three groups, four groups, plant the cross down and say, get to the cross or get out. There is only one way to deal with false teachers and false teachings in a church. And that is to walk in and not have a dialogue and discussion about them to see the validity of the teaching and to see whether you know, the God of love is diminishing his word or not diminishing his word or deconstructing his word is just to plant the cross down in the middle and say, accept the cross or get out. There is only one way to deal with rampant immorality in the church and bad behavior in the church, and that is to walk in the church, put the cross down and say, my brother, my sister, because of the cross, your life has been changed. Now begin to walk in that change through the power of the Holy Spirit. End of the story. Why is this? Why is this? Because preaching the cross is the supernatural means that God achieves the supernatural goals for you. Get that thought into your head now. It is the supernatural means that God achieves his supernatural goals for you. How do you grow a disciple? Get him to the cross and train him 
to learn to walk with his cross on himself every single day. How do you counsel people? Well, let's just learn how to manage your anger. I think just crucify that anger. Put the cross in there. End of the story, grow some fruit. Self-control. How do we bring revitalization to the church? Well, let's try this program. Uh, I think we need to buy, Lena, a smoke machine. Smoke machine, I think that's gonna do it with these people. That's gonna tell them that there's spiritual stuff going on here. Ooh, you know? <laughs> you wanna revitalize the church? Let's put the cross there. You wanna revitalize the community? Put the cross into the community. It will not happen through any other means except the one mean that God has given us. Now here is the warning. You pastors out there, here is a warning. I have done this many times. If you wanna make a big difference in the church and you wanna deal with the party spirit within your church, let me tell you this, the minute you apply the cross you will lose the people of the different parties to your church. You will lose people who are prone to false doctrine and love to bring teachers into their lives that are gonna tickle their ears. You will lose people that really are attached to doctrines of devils you will lose people who do not want to deal with their flesh and sin. But oh my, the people that actually embrace the cross, when you see them grow, they become giants in the hands of a mighty God. Now we've each got people in our lives especially in this generation that are actually hurting badly and that are in need of healing. And I'm gonna tell you now, the only remedy is the cross. <laughs> there is no other way. Okay, there is no other healing. There is no other way of salvation. It is through the cross. It's your quality control. At the cross, the logic of man is destroyed. At the cross, postmodernistic philosophy is shredded. At the cross, signs and wonders are just thrown down and diminished for what they are. And it all gets undone because when man looks at the cross, it exposes his foolishness and God's wisdom. Because when man looks at the cross, he thinks, how can the God of all creation allow man to actually kill him. It doesn't make sense. Well, it will never make sense because it takes God the Holy Spirit to make sense for you and give that revelation to you. God dying for his people, be nailed on a rugged cross on a dunghill by his own creation rather than defeating his enemies and wiping them out and recreating them all for a group of people just that will serve him. 
It's foolishness. But that is the message of the cross. The application of the cross to your life is the Christ-controlled means of bringing you into everlasting life, bringing you into abundant life, aligning your life, your relationships, everything into alignment with the things of God. Don't sell out. Don't sell out its transforming power because you wanna dilute it to have a conversation with the postmodernistic Babylonian philosophy. Power of the cross is a God-given message. The power of the cross is a means of quality control. And now here's my third point. The power of the cross, if you ignore it, is an eternally fatal mistake. Verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, 1, 17 to 18 is this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. All right? For us who refuse the grace of the message of the cross, that message is ridiculousness in itself. The unregenerated man who deliberately, intentionally embraces the camouflage of Babylon will never be able to see this message because it's foolishness to him, because he's already perishing. He's already embracing death. He is already embracing the goal of Babylon, which is to lead him to worship the devil. The postmodernist doesn't like to think in absolutes, okay? Unfortunately for the postmodernist, there are a few absolutes that we both agree on. We have to agree on, and if they try and explain themselves out of this, they really get onto some shaky ground. So for you postmodernists out there, we agree, you and I, that there is one absolute in our life, and that absolute is rushing towards us at an awesome pace every second of our life. So every second, that absolute is coming closer to me and to you. And some of you, it's gonna reach you tomorrow, some of you the next week, some of you the next month, some of you the next year, some of you a decade or two time if you, God willing, are lucky, if you're thinking postmodernist. And that is your appointment with death. So somewhere along the line in your future coming towards you, the angel of death is gonna come along and with his sickle he's gonna snick the golden or the silver cord between your body and your soul. And if you're an atheist, everything goes dark. If you believe in karma, well, if you've been good, you'll get up. If you've been bad, you'll get down. If you've killed enough people in some places, you'll get in. But the absolute is you are gonna die. The absolute is I'm gonna die. And my Bible tells me this. So in Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27 and 28, we have a passage of scripture that in verse 27, a postmodernist agrees with half the Bible with me, half that verse of scripture with me. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. So I believe that after our death, every single human being will stand before the Creator and give an account and answer the question, 
What have you done regarding my message of the cross? So let me read that verse of scripture. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now, when you minister to people, go, go back to that verse, yes, to the Romans verse, thanks. When you minister to people, Romans 1.16, you better step forward with a boldness and an unashamedness of the message of the cross. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. These people, they cannot understand without the power and illumination of the Holy Spirit to grasp the reality that they are sinners in the sight of God. They're not sinners because they do sinful things. They are sinners because they were born sinners and they cannot understand that. They cannot understand how God will justly punish them for being born a sinner. They are unable to save themselves from the judgment that is coming through all their good works that they choose through altruistic methods to do. They are unable to give remedy for the sin nature inside of them that continually causes them to prone to do things that are wrong. And sadly, they see no need of a savior who died on a cross for them. However, for those who are being saved, they have to start at the cross. For us to draw people to Jesus, we have to bring them to the cross. What is that message? The gospel of the cross is Jesus lived a life we could never live. Jesus died the death that should have been ours. We have been saved from judgment by Almighty God through one and only way, and that way is to transform, is to transfer from ourselves, from any religion we might have, from any works we might have. We have to transform everything and anything to the Son of God who loved us, who gave himself up for us through his sacrificial act on Golgotha's hill. And we have to accept his sacrifice for what we have done wrong because that is the only means in which we will see God. You see, without the cross of Christ, your preaching, your testifying, you cannot expect a soul to get saved. You cannot expect a life to be transformed. 
You must preach Christ and Him crucified so people can join that number. You must preach against mankind's sin and Christ's salvation. You must preach against a hell that is real, to be shunned and a heaven to be gained through the grace and love and mercy of God our Father. For the person in the church pew, you ignore this message. If you are sitting under a wolf, if you are sitting under a hireling, and if you are being indoctrinated in a postmodernistic garbage viewpoint of religiosity that has been presented as Christianity, if you ignore this message of the cross, you will miss out on heaven. Only in the old, old story is there hope for the sinner and growth for the saint. Here is a warning for you. I'm gonna give you this warning. Unashamedly, shun, go look up that old English word, S-H-U-N, shun people who do not preach the cross of Christ in its full biblical entirety and context. Shun them. Walk away from them. Leave them. Shun them. Point one, the cross, our God-given message. Point two, our means of control. And point three, you miss out on this message. It's a fatal mistake. My fourth and last point is this. The power of the cross is the church's mission worldwide. Preaching the cross is preaching in the power of God. It is the standard message and means that God advances his kingdom. It's how God is gonna bring about all his plans and all his purposes and wrap it up in the ultimate purpose of God and that is to bring everything under the feet of Jesus Christ and Jesus will rule everything and it is done in and through the power of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm gonna now finish off. <coughs> I'm gonna read to you an article from L.R. Shelton. And it's, 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 the article is called The Friendly But Dangerous Pal. I call it a soft, crossless gospel. I'm gonna read it to you and then I'm gonna pray for you. And then we will end this message. Many readers and even longtime Christians get upset with me and other pastors who warn against false gospels, false teachers, and an easygoing Christianity. The vast majority of Christendom today have not bowed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They are on sinking sand and are an easy prey to such teachings which have permitted our land and our pulpits. Did you not notice the, times of, the signs of the times? Did you not notice what is happening around you? This morning I will sound the warning again and let him who wants to hear, hear. Again I say, beware of that false gospel which allows a man to stay in his sins and sow to his flesh and yet gives him a hope for heaven. Beware of false celebrity teachers that sell you a cheap gospel and tickle your ears. 
Beware of that false gospel that sells you an insurance policy against the flames of hell and yet gives no power over sin. Beware of that false gospel which lets you go in your same way of fleshly living and makes no demands on the death of your fleshly nature. Beware of that false gospel that gives you religion without life, profession without possession. Beware of that false gospel that leads you to believe that there are two roads to heaven and not only the one road which is described by our Lord in Matthew 7, 13 and 14 as the narrow way. You see this false gospel makes a second way. It is a road of carnal Christianity. Proverbs 16, 25 says there is a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to death. It appears to the, it appeals to the flesh, but it's the way that leads to hell. Beware of the false gospel which is preached today, which makes no demands upon you, but shows you an easy way unto salvation, which is the shortest way to hell. This false gospel is not opposed to your flesh, rather it is a friendly pal. And if understood rightly, it is the source of oceans of good, clean fun and instant enjoyment. It lets you live without interference. It never changes your life. It never lets you live in your own pleasure. It still lets you live in your own pleasure. And the accent is still on enjoyment. There is fun now on the higher plane, moral if not intellectually, sanitized worldly ways. This false gospel encourages a new and entirely different evangelistic appeal. It seeks not to slay the sinner before he receives the new life in Christ, but tells him to receive new life before the old life is slain. So it tries only to redirect the sinner. It directs him into a jolly way of living which saves his self-respect. The false gospel says to the self-assertive, come and assert yourself for Christ. To the egotist it says, come and do your boasting in the Lord. To the thrill seeker, come and enjoy the thrill of Christian fellowship. It tries to pour new wine into old wineskins and it will not work. The old must be torn down before the new is built. Let us pray. Eternal God and Heavenly Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we come before you and ask to be led in this prayer by the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I present to you your people and how the enemy is coming in like a flood and bringing a gospel that is the cross-light gospel. And it is having no effect on your people and no effect on your children. And I pray, Lord, that you will first of all begin to awaken their hearts to the message of the cross because it is the power of God for our salvation. And I pray, Lord, that you will lead them, lead them to preachers and teachers and to the word of God that will a lighten, a, a rekindle a light inside of them regarding the truth of this message. And Lord, it will dispel the influences of the devil and the false doctrines and false teachers from their life. I pray, Lord, that they will be able to begin to learn that crucifying the flesh is the path to ultimate freedom. And it sets people free from the bondages of sin and slavery and death into which the devil through the Babylonian system of, a, of worldly attractions and desires seeks to enslave them and keep them and ultimately to lead them through Judas goats to worship the devil. I pray, Lord, that you will just enlighten their eyes. I pray, Lord, that you will illuminate their hearts. 
I pray, Lord, that you will lead them into all truth. I pray, Lord, that those that hear will come before you and just say, Lord Jesus, I want to apply the cross of Jesus Christ into my life. I, Lord, I want to nail my flesh upon this cross today. Lord, I confess my sins before you, my dead works, and I pray that you will wash me clean in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you will sanctify through the blood, through the water, and through the anointing power of the Holy Spirit, my mind from works that lead to death, and that you will illuminate my mind to the things of God in Christ Jesus, and holy, that the Holy Spirit will lead me into all truth. I pray that you will seal me in this truth, in this word, that you will incubate me, Lord, that you will connect me with people who truly wanna be connected to the truth of your word, that I can become an effective disciple in these last days that will go forth and preach the power of the cross who is not ashamed of the message of the gospel. I pray this in and through the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless. Thanks, Sam.